Iron Radio listeners. This is the Iron Radio podcast. Uh, We're published on www.ironradio.org. We are on iTunes. We're on Podcast Alley. So if you can vote for us there, that's very helpful and appreciated. And you can also interact with us live via instant teleseminar. So uh, I am Lonnie Lowry. I am here because I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I am a former competitive bodybuilder. Hi, everyone. It's Robert Fortress Fortney. I'm a former editor at Muscle Mega International um, and a few other publications. Um, I'm a former competitive bodybuilder and strength athlete body powerlifter. Yeah, this is Phil Stevens, um, strength coach, powerlifter, uh, founder of liftforhope.org, and just all around nice guy. Um, one thing Lonnie oh, kind of there was uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. Um, yeah. So it's the Iron Radio Facebook group, and we shoot out the. Uh, the coming weeks schedules are on there as well, so join that up because I know about everybody's up there on there too. Sure. Rock on! Um, for everybody listening today, uh, our guest is, is Nia Shanks. Uh, thanks for joining us, Nia. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, not a problem. Um, I first got word of you um, pretty much from Mike Robertson. He, he posted, I think it was on on Facebook. You know your performance in the in a SPF push pull meet, and you went in and set some records and. Uh, in your first meet, uh, win the deadlift and and the bench in the 122 pound class. You know, from there, I kind of just looked into you more. And uh, another thing that caught my eyes, you were training your mom to her first power meet. It was just after a few months of training. And um, wow, just uh, just kind of knew we needed to get you on on Iron Radio. I mean, you're kind of the type of person that uh, I mean, the world needs to get a hold of and needs to hear from. So. Um, I mean, other than that, uh, you can find Nia. She's got she's got her own website. She's a, a personal trainer since 2004. Um, went got her degree from the University of Louisville in uh, exercise science. Again, she she holds several records in the SPF. Uh, thanks for joining us. Well, I'm glad to be here. I, I hope I covered everything there. I'm sure I missed a few things. I got the important stuff. There you go. Um, I'm purposely going to kind of skip over. What you mentioned is kind of your motto to training nutrition in in the, your bio, because it kind of directly leads to the topic of the day, and uh, we'll put you on the hot seat on that later. So, um, I guess the first thing here is that everybody wants to hear about is how did you get into strength training in the first place in nutrition? Well, actually, um, I was pretty lucky growing up. My parents are both really active. Uh, my mom actually, I think she has been in the fitness industry for probably almost thirty years now, and uh, she had started out doing aerobics classes and whatnot, and then she eventually just got into personal training. And she was actually the first personal trainer in Paducah, Kentucky, which is where I'm at right now. And so because of that, I pretty much just fell into it naturally. And I think I got introduced into the weight room probably about the age of 16, and just from that moment, you know, something clicked, and I was hooked. Gotcha. And then after – huh? Oh, go ahead. No, so pretty much after that, I just started – you know, getting online, finding some websites, finding some really good strength coaches and reading articles, books, anything I can get my hands on. And then I just started testing out stuff on myself and some friends, and then it just snowballed from there. What what, Was there a clear decision-making process that led you to to seek this as a career? I mean, was there? Well, like at first, it just I loved it so much, and I've always been one of those people, you know, do something that you love. And then so I just, you know, got serious about trying to get as good as I could be and then also, you know, as I started not only helping myself but helping friends and then eventually once I became a, a certified trainer, is mostly just helping people and 
uh, particularly women, having them come to me and they've just been, you know, incredibly frustrated and they've tried this and that and didn't get results. And it was it was helping them get results and then just seeing how, how excited they were, how happy they were and the fact that they, you know, they would just tell me, like, you know, I can't believe I've wasted my time with all this other stuff and, and just getting getting them those results because, I mean, as you all well know, there's so much BS and hype in the fitness industry and especially when it comes to women, uh, you know, strength training and then just fitness in general. I just, you know, I loved helping them find the uh, the ways to actually get the results they wanted in a fast and effective way. And like I said, just I fell in love with it, and that's pretty much it from there. Gotcha. Um, you know, speaking of, you know, kind of empowering women and helping them on their way, how how did your mom do? Oh, well, actually, she, uh, like I said, I had my first uh, powerlifting meet. That was in April, I believe, and that's when I set the SPF world record for my division in the push-pull. And she came to watch that, and she just said, you know, hey, this could be fun to try. And so she started, uh, I mean, she's always worked out, you know, but she never she never really trained in the in the deadlift or in the bench press. And uh, she found out, you know, she's better pulling sumo as I am. So she only trained those lifts for two months. And then uh, she ended up benching 115, and she pulled 235 and set the uh, Kentucky championship record. So yeah, she did after two months of training. It was uh it was incredible. She out deadlifted a couple of people that had been training for quite a while. It was uh it was great. Nice. And you can tell if you if you see her uh two thirty five video, you can tell she's got plenty left in the tank. So she's gonna be competing with me in the world this year and she'll definitely break her records as well. Nice. Yeah, I know we have another athlete going to that as well. So so she's hooked then, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, she likes it. She's real good at it. Nice. Um so you have a blog, Fat Loss with the Fat Loss Solutions dot com, where you offer the Fat Solutions dot com, yeah, yeah, the Fat Solutions dot com, and uh, where you offer great advice and products. Um, this is probably the best place for people to get a hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they uh, if you want to email me, you can just send it to Nia at the Fat Solutions dot com, or go to the website and there's a contact page. Nice. Um, you got a lot of products and services on there. Um, can we expect anything new from you, and personally, coming in as far as products well, and whatnot? <laughs> Yeah, well, the products are at, uh, that I have right now, they're they're not mine. They're ones that I've used or people that I know personally have used and just, you know, really reputable things. Um, I'm actually working on releasing my own right now. It's called uh, Fat Loss Detour. And I'm really proud of this because it's going to be a complete training program for women. And uh, Mike Robertson, actually, he's contributing to the mobility and corrective exercise section. And then it's going to have a 16-week training program and uh, energy systems training. I, I like to call it the fat burning component. And then one of the really neglected things that I've seen when it comes to uh, women's training, especially any kind of product online, is they seem to neglect the motivational aspect. Because a lot of the women I've worked with and that have emailed me through my website, they just say, you know, they like motivation. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be included in that as well. And um, basically what that's going to uh, consist of is helping them achieve fat loss in kind of a different way, hence the word, you know, fat loss detour, kind of a different route to get there. And this just developed from training not only myself but other clients. And when we shifted the focus from training for fat loss or weight loss to just training for performance and making it kind of a competition with yourself, you know, making it more fun and motivating, the results were were great. I mean, oh, yeah. not only did they lose fat, but they were having fun. They were motivated to come to the gym, and they didn't get burned out. So pretty much it comes from that. And uh, like I said, that'll actually be released here pretty soon. And next week, I'm going to be giving away a free report 
and it's going to be uh, the 10 things wrong with your fat loss training program and what you can do about it. And that's going to have tips that women can impl- implement immediately so they can start getting results today. And um, like I said, that page isn't up right now, but if you go to my website and join my mailing list, you'll you'll know when that gets released. And then eventually, hopefully in the next couple of months, the Fat Loss Detour will be ready to, to release. Great. So everybody needs to jump on there. Um, kind of purposely cutting this short because the, the topic is kind of very much based on you. So um, just one last thing. So, so you're going to go to the world then? That's that's your training goals right now? I mean, is that where Oh, absolutely. Going? Absolutely, yeah. And you're pretty much... October 3rd. Good, great, great. What are your uh, best gym lifts, Nia? Uh, and the, what do you mean, uh, as in uh, bench? And, well, yeah. the best, my best bench was 150. I couldn't get it in the meat, though, for some reason. I, I really struggled to get 145. If you ever see the video, it, it comes up incredibly slow. But um, my best gym lift, actually, before the uh, the meat, my deadlift, I pulled, I think, only 260, and I ended up getting 300 in the meat. I got talked into it, and it actually came up pretty easy is what surprised me. Wow. 40-pound PR shoes. And by the way, Rob, she's a 122-pounder. I was going to say, you are a little dynamo, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I got plenty more. I, I'm going to definitely I want to pull at least 315 and hopefully get 155 on the bench. But we'll see. Well, you go, girl. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's awesome. I love uh, I love to hear women who are in, in hot pursuit of uh, of strength. That's That's awesome. Well, You're a not only I, for many women, I'll tell you. Well, I keep trying to get women to realize, you know, you can be strong and feminine, you know. So. Well, it's only it's only when you when you inject the uh, the, the chemicals and hormones into the equation where where women lose oh, that, okay. and that's uh, something that people such as yourself have to really push to explain to people and get the word out, you know, because I think Absolutely. that is the major thing that women are are worried about, but. You know, most of the role models that they, well, not even role models, but people that they see by example of people who are, women who are into weight training, be it powerlifters or bodybuilders, are through the magazines. And those, those are higher caliber women who are, I mean, again, largely u- using uh, quote-unquote supplements. And so they get yeah. this impression, that, but they don't know that. They don't know that. Yeah. And so they get the impression, well, as soon as a woman touches a weight, they start looking like a man. And that's just, just it's so, it's just so sad that that's, that's what it's come to, really, because... Yeah, if anything, um, weight training just, uh, I think, just adds to a woman's femininity, and there's nothing wrong with being strong, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and just to, just to kind of jump on this before we move the topic of the day, I mean, anytime I've trained, you know, a lot of times female clients, they're reluctant to lift anything heavy when I first get with them, and I just slowly break them into that. And I'm telling you, we have one lady, the first time, she did a real heavy set of squats and, you know, racked the weight. I'm telling you, there was something in her eyes, something just completely clicked. And she was hooked on, you know, getting stronger from that day forward. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you, have you ever seen that with the women? They just they realize their potential, like, wow, you know, I'm strong. And then they'll start doing chin-ups and deadlifts. And, I mean, this woman, she uh, she ended up competing in beauty pageants. I mean, she won the Kentucky beauty pageant and went on to play seventh in Miss Universe. I mean, she, you know, she's a, she had to be very feminine, and, but yet she wasn't afraid to get strong. So, you know, like you said, women definitely should not be afraid of getting, of getting strong. Yeah, I don't know where it was ever... Uh... You know, the, the detour got made that femininity had something to do with not being strong and fit. I, I don't know where that really, where that really started. It's. Uh... I don't either. I think that's why it's it, that's why it's so empowering. I think when you when you see somebody make a heavy lift or that immediate kind of success, instead of the kind of societal uh, push on women, which is you know focus on fat loss or you know somehow focus on restriction or loss instead of 
gain or something more positive or, or constructive. Yeah. Exactly, and that's that's what the fat loss detour, that's what it's going to be. It's going to give them a, a positive mindset instead of feeding negative thoughts into their mind. You know, I've got to lose fat, I've got to lose weight. It's just throwing that crap out the window and just saying, hey, I'm going to get better, I'm going to improve my performance. And then, you know, from then on, the fat loss is more of a side effect. Yeah, so, exactly. Kind of a form follows function type of thing. Yeah, You know. exactly. And uh, It's interesting because I've always said that in, in – in some aspects, weight training can be even more beneficial in the long haul for women than men simply on the basis of, like, you know, a loss of bone mass later on and women's, you know, higher propensity towards that type of thing. So, you know, the weight-bearing exercise is, uh, is very important to a woman's long-term health. Or if you talk about, you know what, if you talk about physiology, too, there are certain um, physiological strengths that women have over men. Um, for example, women don't exhibit a lot of um, like muscle damage markers uh, to the same extent that guys do. They, uh, creatine kinase, for example. So if you go into the lab and you look at a woman who's trained until she was really sore, she's actually not as biochemically damaged in a sense as a guy. So you can start to take advantage of these kinds of things by manipulating training volume and intensity and, you know, and things like that. So I think it's worth uh, knowing a lot of women and, and those who are listening is that there are in fact strengths where women are superior to men and those are the kinds of things you know you can take pride in and really run with rather than like Rob was saying on the cover of magazines where essentially it's male hormones and you know it's women becoming quasi male instead of going with their the, the things that they're better at anyway yeah, yeah. the deal one from Charles that he always likes to, to cite is uh, <clears throat> you know women that are scared of of resistance training and heavy lifting weights and it's kind of like um you know those are going to make you look like a man about as fast as like pilates is going to make me look like a woman you know, it just doesn't happen, you know. But, uh, man you'd be one oh, ugly God. woman oh come on i'm sexy bro <laughs> you have no clue keep the lipstick away from phil <laughs> okay um uh, on that note yeah, <laughs> you guys can all find Nia um, on thefatsolutions.com and also on our Facebook page. Um, stop by, check out stuff like that. We're going to go ahead and, and click on to the topic of the day here and, and run with that. Okay, for the topic of the day, um, again, like I said, we're going to kind of put Nia on the soapbox this time and uh, let her kind of run it after I introduce it. Um, the topic of the day is pretty much what you call your, uh, what Nia calls her motto. It's um, the importance of, of making training and nutrition fit you as opposed to the other part, trying to fit into it. Um, directly from our bio, you know, it's revolve your eating patterns and, and your training around your life, not vice versa. Um, I agree 100%, and I think it's about the single most prevalent fault that, that most people have, and uh, they try and just change their lives 100% and uh, take all these huge steps, and they end up failing. So um, let's go ahead and pass it over to you and see what you got to say on this, and then we'll all jump in. Yeah, um, well, once again, this kind of stems from a personal experience and then also just working with clients. Uh, it actually, a couple of years ago, just uh, became so engulfed in, in fat loss and all that, that uh, I ended up developing an eating disorder. 
And that was really hard for me simply because, you know, I was a trainer and I knew what I was supposed to do because I was telling people what to do. But I still couldn't help the fact that I had that problem with myself. And then um, eventually, thankfully, I was able to get over that through a change in mindset. But also, I mean, the idea also came from the fact that, you know, I used to always tell people when I started training, eat five, six small meals a day. That's what everybody said to do is best for fat loss, and that's what I told them to do. And I thought that was the, the optimal way to do things. And then I started listening and seeing how frustrated people were. I mean, for some people, that's just not practical. I mean, I had a, one lady who had four children, a couple of businesses, and that was just a pain in the ass for her to do. So she was miserable and stressed out. And so basically, you know, just I just took it from there and said, you know, we'll just follow, you know, this list of healthy eating principles and then go from there. I don't care if you only eat three meals a day, if you do five to six, I don't care. And the results were still the same. I mean, people were still achieving fat loss as long as they were following the healthy eating principles and not overcomplicating things. I mean, they didn't have to watch the clock and eat at a certain time. And like I said, um, you know, since I had that eating disorder, I just I was able to switch my mindset. And once again, that's kind of how fat loss detour uh, was developed was I changed the mindset instead of training for fat loss and trying to always look good in a swimsuit and stuff. It was just changing it to, okay, I'm going to, you know, train for performance and compete with myself. And it was just that change of thinking that pretty much uh, led about to that motto. And, and especially women, they're really vulnerable to that. And uh, the point of what I'm trying to do and fat loss detour is to keep women from going what I went through. I don't ever want, if I can stop anybody from, you know, developing an eating disorder and going through that, I want to because it's it's simply not worth it. And that's why people need to stop overcomplicating things and revolving everything they do around getting to the gym and their next meal that they have to eat. Just make things simple. Find a good, solid workout program. Just follow basic nutrition principles because the basics are very effective. People keep wanting these you know, latest and greatest and all these, uh, you know, huge, crazy tactics when they can't even follow the basic steps. So, I mean, that's pretty much how that developed. Couldn't agree more. I mean, I've been largely down the same path as you um, in various ways, and it's a big, huge battle with yourself, and especially when you're dealing with clients, like you said, I mean, the exact same thing. And then it's just a realization that, you know, I see it every day, all these people, and they're so worried about what is optimal. And they're reading exactly not to take away from the work that things like Dr. Lowry is doing, stuff like that. But a lot of that stuff, people get way too caught up in the minutia of this. Well, yeah, I mean, because you need you need to hit steps one, two, and three before you can jump to four, five, six. I mean, because you know it's people that want these detailed programs, but yet you know they eat junk food and fast food all day. It's just it's not for some people they can make that switch immediately, and that's great. But a lot of people. They need slow, gradual change. As a general rule, behavior change doesn't happen in large amounts very, very quickly, right? Small behavior changes stick, and then you build on that. And that's why I've, for, for ages I've said consistency is key. You know, keep at it. It's the golden rule. Be consistent. And it's, it's partly that instant gratification problem that people have. But, Nia, I wanted to ask you a question that might be informative to listeners and Phil, maybe you can chime in on this a little too, but what do you think it was in your situation that let you make that mindset switch uh, from something negative to something positive? What kind of barriers were there? What did you overcome? How did you do that? You mean from uh, come to get out of the eating disorder and all that crap? 
Exactly. To move from the kind of the body composition obsession, the eating disorder, and, and, to, and to just retool and refocus on strength. I mean, did something just snap, or do you think something led to that? It, was, it wasn't an overnight thing. Um, I've just been, you know, been reading, and, and it kind of just got in my mind. I was like, you know, I'm miserable. I hate going to the gym. I don't like working out anymore because all I could think about in the gym was how many calories am I burning and all this, all this bull crap, you know. I wasn't having fun. I dreaded going to the gym. I said, okay, you know, I used to love training before I, I got that problem. I loved it. And I said, how can I get back that desire to go to the gym? And, I, you know, I said, I'm going to calm things down. And instead of, like I said, focusing on how many calories I can burn, I'm just going to focus on getting stronger. And I'm going to force myself to just, you know, you know, I know how to get stronger, and that's what I'm going to focus on doing. Does that answer your question? I mean, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a drastic change. It was something that was kind of slow, and then after a little while, I was like, well, you know, I stopped worrying so much about, you know, the eating disorder, and things just kind of slowly started falling into place simply because I was getting a, a more positive mindset. You know, I was going to the gym to accomplish something. I had an actual a good positive goal to focus on. Well, and I think that was really know, a, a benefit to you that you had had the good experience and the kind of the, the history, whether it be longer or short, prior to Oh, I, I agree. Because that, that gave you something to kind of – to recall that that hey, first of all, you had developed developed a habit for fitness in the first place, and second of all, you had those good good recollections. You could could have those good recollections of how it at one time was. So you could have you know you knew where you you wanted to get back to, as opposed to where you want to go, but you've never been there before. So, um, and a lot of women don't have that. So, but I think I think hearing um, women like you, yourself talk about these types of things and that that you know. The whole gym experience and the whole, whole habit of you know physical culture can be enjoyable, and, and okay. we harp on about this constantly on this on this podcast about all of us about how you know it's uh, training, working out, athletics, sports, however you want to deem it. These things should should be enjoyable, and, and, it, and if they're not, there's ways to you know to, to find what it is that that is going to make it enjoyable for you, right? Definitely, I agree 100. percent No, yeah, for for me it was. I think it's kind of like what Neil was saying. I, I full on knew what was going on. You know, I knew I was doing wrong, but I I, I couldn't stop it. I mean, I ended up with with some some health problems and whatnot from it. But um, several big things that changed it for me. It was just finally I just I knew I was getting paralysis from analysis, and I just flat out stopped reading anything for about two years. <laughs> just nothing new, and just dealt with what I what I knew. And working with that, and then the other huge thing was just getting around athletes, getting around other people that are performance mind based, and uh, it wasn't an overnight change. But well, you uh, said something earlier, um, um, Philip, of the whole uh, in kind of in kind of respect towards uh, Dr. Lowry about you know what he does, and no disrespect that the fact that he kind of delves into the detail of these things. But I'm sure he's the first one, you know, and he can chime in here if he wants, Lonnie. But I mean. He'll be the first one to tell you that. I mean, I don't think he takes any offense to that whatsoever because it was once told to me, um, and, I, and I kind of quote Tom Platts a lot, but, you know, he's a friend of mine, and he once told me, he said, you know, um, people often talk about how, you know, the pointlessness of, um, you know, these car companies developing these cars every year that go faster and faster, these prototypes that are never actually brought into any sort of, you know, like uh, mainstream production, um, and, you know, and all the different drag cars and these types of things and kind of the pointlessness of it. But he says, you know, it's through those high-performance cars that we get the technology that you can kind of distill um, in smaller bits to the cars that, that, you know, the average person ends up driving on the road. And I, I think it's I, – I kind of think see the analogy in much the same way is that, 
you know, I mean, the information and the knowledge that, uh, you know, Lonnie has of, of these things and the, and the scientific studies he does that delve so much into these things, it, it distills down um, into a broader sense of, of what the average person, you know, can use and, and still look at as being kind of more basic knowledge, you know? Yeah, I think I see it. I mean, everybody said, you know, the whole you need to take step one. You need to walk before you need to learn how to run. You know, and I agree 100%, but then, I mean, I also see people, and I bet all of you guys have, that, that are actually doing everything optimal. Yeah. But they're, they're not making any gains, and the main thing is is they're not enjoying it. They're they're doing everything optimal, but they're stressing so damn much to do it <laughs> that they're not having any fun, and just they're, you know, that in and of itself ruins the progress. I think the general idea there is that some of those people, they're working hard, and that deserves some credit, but they're not working smart. You know, the micromanagement, people think that they take a couple hundred micrograms of this or that mineral or a couple hundred milligrams of an herb or a supplement, you know. After 15 years of looking at that kind of stuff in the lab, I can tell you that those results are generally on the order of five, maybe up to about 20%. Now, when you think about something as simple as just eating more fruits and vegetables and lean meats. I mean, I can only guess, but you're talking about orders of magnitude above 5%, right? So again, just like with the training, there's the um, you know consistency uh, with healthy eating practices and getting the habit and learning to enjoy foods, you know, getting away, getting your taste slowly away from sickly sweet drinks, for example, uh, you know, or, or learning to enjoy stuff that's a little bit more, you know, um, plain, if you will, you know, just foods instead of trying to eat postage stamp size portions of naughty foods, you know, of things that are very <laughs> processed and sugary. And I've never been a big fan, fan of the restrictions, you know, or dividing your energy between 3000 different minutia things instead of really putting a lot of energy into a few big, basic foundational things. Yeah. Can make it's amazing. That's when I really noticed it, and that's what helped me. Is that if I just go in, trust myself, train hard, eat what I know I should, and not sweat it. Look, you get strong. You know? I want to kind of bring things back to the whole kind of topic of the day, kind of uh, in specifically because there was it, when it was first, you know, um, topic of the day brought up. You know, the, the first thing that that came to me was this whole idea of, <clears throat> you know, how to kind of. Um, you do you amalgamate exercise or in training and that type of thing and nutrition into your life. Um, and of course, any kind of passionate athlete will tell you it probably started the other way around. They they kind of got into it and then found out that they were kind of making some you know concessions about their life towards their training. And Mia kind of talked talked a little bit about that kind of thing. But I think once the habit kind of develops after you know certainly um, any length what could be considered lengthy periods of time. It becomes such that it's not right, really either or. It's not like life into the, the training, nutrition, or vice versa. It's almost like it just becomes one big thing, right? Um, that that's just a part of your life, and and you don't really even have to make concessions either way because it's just something that you know is part of the the piece of the puzzle that is your life, you know. Yeah, I think I agree. I think that's definitely at the later stages. I think the toughest part I see is that you know people don't know where to start. Yeah. And you see a lot of, of I guess, so-called coaches or trainers, you know, they're trying to put beginner people on very advanced stuff. You know, here, you have to do, like Neil was saying, you you need to train four days a week. You need to have six meals a day. You know, and no, I mean, do one more thing than you did last week. Yeah. And you're going to make progress. And make those habits. It's, it's, 
I mean, I stress that time and time again. I mean, the first thing I try and get people to do, just go to the gym. Just go walk in. I don't care if you walk right out. Yeah. Three times a week. <laughs> you know, if, if you keep doing that, you're bound to stay there for a minute one of those days and do something. Yeah. So That's a good point. Hey, I wanted to add something just quickly here, too. Since, since the topic is about making training and nutrition fit uh, the individual, um, the, the behavioral side is huge, but there's also a, a genetic component, and I just want to take this opportunity to, to toss in a little educational stuff, as is my habit. But um, it, People respond differently to different nutrients, right, and they respond differently to different kinds of training. So to jump to the end of what I'm about to tell you, uh, re- frequent reassessment of your situation is probably a good idea. Now, not not too frequent, you know, because you, we've all seen people they want to recheck their body fat every two weeks or something crazy. That's not what I'm talking about. But having a coach uh, or a trainer, someone who's knowledgeable about how quickly your body changes, uh, can be good because again, there there are real genetic differences. I'm looking at a paper right here from the Canadian Journal of Dietetics uh, Practice and Research. You can't trust those Canucks, man. Oh, I know, man. <laughs> but let me just read something quickly. Nutrigenomics. You're going to hear this word a lot. And over time, I think we're going to hear this about training, too. I don't know if it's going to be called exergenomics or what, but nutrigenomics is concerned with the role of nutrients in gene expression. In other words, there are certain foods you can eat that will actually turn on or off certain genes. This is a big deal, right? Nutrients are powerful in this way. And then there's also nutrigenetics, which is a little bit different, and that's the study of how uh, genetic variations that you have can affect your response to foods. So on one side, we have the foods turning genes off and on, and on the other side, we have how people respond to foods differently. For example, I've heard about how the vitamin folate will affect you know, cardiovascular risk of people in, in different ways, or how some people uh, respond to caffeine much differently than others. So there's also the genetic side, and that's the only thing I really wanted to interject there is that making it fit in your lifestyle and from a behavioral standpoint is a very big deal. But you also have to recognize that based on your family history, you have certain predispositions. For example, my family, there's, there's a fair amount of obesity and type 2 diabetes. Well, I tend to do better on lower carbohydrate intakes, you know, even though I'm, I'm you know, training hard. Um, now, the kind of training I do tends to be more intense and less uh, voluminous, but in any case, I think it's worth stating for people too that you know making their training and nutrition fit you. Um, look at your family history, get some clues about that. Every several weeks or so, reassess where you're at and if what you're doing is in fact working. Because there's this whole genetic layer and even epigenetic layers, which I'm not even going to get into, that influence the way you respond. So having someone experienced can be a, a big deal as far as guiding you. That's a good point. Well, you left us all. Uh... <laughs> Damn it, Lonnie! <laughs> 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 I've bored you. I've bored you into silence. <laughs> well, the thing is, that's very, that's all very interesting stuff. I mean, um, you're, you're touching on things that, I mean, I sure could probably speak for me and both um, Phil as well. When it's like it's very interesting here, and we're people that are you know experienced in the industry. I mean, it's, this is this is stuff that I'm sure we're going to see uh, a lot more delved into in, in the future. I mean, these, these are kind of like new frontiers, right? Well, I was at a conference about a year ago, and I actually asked a couple of people from the, at the National Institutes of Health. I mean, these are high-ranking officials in kind of the you know, um, government arm of science, if you will. And I said, where are we at? How far are we away from actually using 
nutrigenomics, um, you know, nutrigenetics in, in practice. And they said, well, we're not five years away. We're not 10 years away. It's happening now. And in fact, if you start to uh, scan around the National Library of Medicine or PubMed on the Internet, you can actually find a, several researchers talking about how this stuff is being used now. Now, it does not mean that we're at the point right now where you can get a little cotton swab of the inside of your mouth and say, here, you need to eat this, stay away from caffeine, eat that. You know, We're not at that point yet, although we will be, and that's going to change nutrition a lot. Now, a, and maybe more relevant to this podcast, it's not just the nutrition, but it's the training. I mean, some people are going to respond uh, differently. Like Fortress, I know you, you're a – you have some pretty heroic performances when at the kind of 85, 90% of one rep max for a big volume kinds of workouts, you know, multiple sets, 10 sets of 10 with a heavy weight or, you know, 10 sets of five with a heavy weight. Whereas other people might be genetically predisposed toward a one rep max or maybe even lighter kinds of work, you know? So I think that this genetic thing, this individual thing is going to creep into training more and more too, but it doesn't mean that we don't know. I mean, family history is a really good indicator of what kind of genes you have. I mean, it's not the, it's not as informative, but it does help, right? So sure. I mean, on that note, I mean, even to go with the training now, they have that new the Atlas Genetics test. You know, for for children, and they tell you how many, you know, you have one, two, or no markers for pretty much. I mean, to dumb it down, strength. You know, for limit strength and how many fast twitch muscle fibers you have, you will either be predisposition to endurance activity, um, more more strength based, or somewhere in between. Right. And people are highly adaptable. So if you want something else, even if you're predisposed toward one thing, you can still go for another. You know, I, I, mean, yeah, I mean, you see sprinters become marathon runners sometimes. And again, that's at a very high, like Olympic level. And like Rob said, then maybe drugs come into play. I, I sent off that test just because I was interested, and, you know, I didn't ever guess. Everybody I talked to said, oh, you you got to be, you know, have both genes for strength. And, no, it came back. I'm right in between. But that's not going to stop me from trying to be the strongest white boy on the world. So, <laughs> yeah. Now, I wanted to ask Nia, uh, you said you came up with ten rules for nutrition. I'm I'm always interested to hear people talk about this because it's considering nutrigenetics, nutrigenomics, this is really hard to do, right? Like I, I made a comment about eating more lean sources of protein and fruits and vegetables. I mean, that's something that's pretty basic, you know, and you come full circle after studying so many things. But what are what was some of your thinking when you came up with these these ten rules that are generally applicable? Well, those those ten things. That's uh, that wasn't with nutrition. That was ten things wrong with uh, fat loss training programs and what oh. to do about it. As far as the nutrition principles, like I said that's not my area of expertise. So I prefer just to keep it really simple. And I just try to tell people for one, just to eat as many. You know, the majority of their food. Try to make it whole, natural, unprocessed stuff. Like you said, lean meat and vegetables, fruits, beans, nuts, seeds. I mean, it's not sexy, but it works. And so you're guaranteed to get nutrition, and your body's going to respond to it. You're going to have better energy. And it's like, it's just that's the simplest tip I know, and it's it's really hard for a lot of people to do because we're a society it's just, you know, go, go, go to where people just like to grab fast food and stuff that they can just throw in the microwave. But, I mean, that, that tip alone I've seen have huge results, you know, if people can just try to incorporate more whole natural foods. Now, going back to the training thing, what do you think about boiling down some, you know, generalities from the fat loss perspective? I mean, I don't want to, uh, you know, 
spoil anything with what you you know you've got under development or whatnot. But um, do you have you seen working with clients? Do you see people respond to different kinds of fat loss training, or or do you think there's a little bit less individuality there, and people really need to move in one direction with that? No, I agree with you completely. I mean, because I've seen, you know, I myself, I can't do really well on a high-volume training. I mean, uh, real high-intensity for a long. And there are people I know that they can just, you know, keep pumping out three RMs set after set after set, and I can't do that. You know, I have to do pretty much one hard set and then back off and do some lighter stuff. And then, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of women I train who just, they need a lot of volume. I mean, they they don't get the effect unless we do quite a bit of volume work, and then there's some that, that get it and a lot less. So, I mean, because like you said, I mean, there's people respond completely differently, whether it's, you know, muscle fiber type or genetic or, or whatever, or, you know, their their training experience. But, uh, I mean, you, I think we can always try to found, find kind of a middle road that suits most people, especially beginners. But I think as people get more advanced into training, you know, they need to learn what works for them, how their body responds, you know, responds best. Because I had to learn it myself, too, and I, I learn all the time. You know, I'll learn something new. And I said just recently, I realized, you know, I can't do a ton of heavy exercises in one training session. I'll just get burned out. Yeah, I'm a lot like you are. I cannot do intensity plus lots of volume. It's just my problem is I, I've historically I've trained with powerlifters like Rob, and I just there you, go. you know. But my problem was it was always that all the things that made me good at bodybuilding, like little joints, were kind of my bane when it comes to power training. You know. Um, tearing tendons off of insertion points and stuff. And this is not fun. But rights, man. What's that? That's bragging rights. <laughs> so as long as you get it repaired, right? Bodybuilders can't go around too gnarled and ripped up because then you know you lose the whole effect. Battle scars. That's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think that the resounding theme here, and it's something I've wrote about lately in, in a blog, is that. Hey, you need to realize that not every, not one thing is going to work for everybody, and not one goal is good for everybody. And I think that's part of the beauty about being an athlete and a coach, and it's trying to learn those things. Yeah, but you know what? So many people, and I mean, this is this is all great stuff. But I mean, so many people who go into the gym, and you know, I've only been training for you know a, a few months, um, think that they have they understand the nuance of movements and exercise and and athleticism to the. Um, and they think that, based on that, that they can make these judgments um, so early on, you know, and you can't. You really have to, and I kind of refer back all, to that saying all the time, that you kind of have to know the rules before you can break them, right? Mm-hmm. And and to really kind of get somewhere individually, um, as everybody's now talking about how, every, you know, not everything works for everybody the same way, To you know, you, you kind of have to eventually break the rules to kind of, you know, veer off. In, in the direction that's going to best serve you, but to do that again, you have to know kind of the, the nuance of um, you know of movements and exercise and all that type of thing. And uh, so it comes down to patience for a lot of people who are just kind of like you know newbies into the gym and they you know been only training for a few months and all of a sudden they think that they're going to you know switch their diets around every week and then switch their oh this is not working after they've done two workouts of it and you know well I don't respond better to that because you know. Um, some goof named Rob on some podcast said that, you know, do this, do that. It takes a long time. You, you kind of really have to stick to kind of a, a meat and potatoes thing for quite some time before, you, again, you can kind of you can kind of know those nuances and start developing an idea of maybe how to break the rules a little bit, 
so they will serve you best in the long run. Oh, for sure. It's kind of like that double-edged sword, I mean, that we talk about in like training for powerlifting and as strength athletes. You know, I don't want anybody to fail. As a power athlete, I try, I go to the gym and I don't want to fail ever. You know, I practice perfection. But right. at the same time, you know, failure happens and actually you have to fail to learn just what failure is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you got to fail to know it. And, yeah. Well, you can't know a good workout unless you have a bad one, right? Exactly. And, you know, yeah. you go to a meet and inevitably, if you push hard enough, you're not trying to, but you're going to fail <laughs> at times. <laughs> so it's kind of a, and you got to, you have to be mature enough to, to realize that and actually take, you know, it, take it as a positive and something to build from. Where did I mess up? Exactly. Well, I that's a good something. point. Yeah, you can't allow it to be defeating, but yeah. rather you have to, you know, you uh, take it for what it is and then reflect on it uh-huh. and and then turn into something that's just more rocket fuel. You know, to move exactly. forward and and to explore that. That you know, and, and I mean, it's it's a constant battle, right? I mean, let's face it, we're all athletes on the phone here. It's a, it's a constant battle to try and somehow manage the you know ten billion variables that determine why a workout's good and not good, and um, and that never ends. You know, in some ways, it gets worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay, well, let's move on to a couple questions then. Um, Stella in, I have no idea how to say this town, so I'm just going to skip it. Stella asks, how does stress relate to weight gain or weight loss? Anybody want to touch on that one? I can I can touch on it a little. Uh, stress is uh, a physical response and not just a mental one. So the human beings run on something called the neuroendocrine axis, which means your nervous system does, in fact, affect your hormone concentrations. And I think we've all seen commercials about, you know, are you over uh, 30 and overstressed and over fat and, and things like that. And they, they really point the finger at cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Now, they kind of make the quantum leap that their supplement will then fix that, which I'm not going to touch. But what I will touch is that it is true. If you look at the science, uh, the hormone cortisol um, it has nutritional relationships. Like, for example, if you are high-strung and you're drinking coffee all the time, and trust me, I know this stuff, uh, been there, but it does raise cortisol levels. And cortisol is a hormone that we need for health, but it really does some kind of insidious things for a physique or a strength athlete. I mean, cortisol, one of its main jobs is to essentially break down muscle mass to create blood sugar for your brain. Well, Athletes don't want something chewing up their muscle mass. And the other thing that cortisol does is it tends to deposit fat on your midsection. So, I mean, these are things that can be controlled with, you know, keeping your eye on coffee, meditating, cooling your jets with some kind of relaxation right after your workout, whether it's, you know, hot, cold contrast showers or it's music or something like that. Um, And on the flip side, I think all of us who have worked with clients before know that stress is also something you can treat with training. Because, frankly, I'm too damn tired after I lift heavy to be stressed, at least for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, As it relates to the mental, I mean, the biggest thing I see is people are stressing and it actually, the stress stops them from actually making progress. It stops them from doing anything because they're so stressed about, say, the perfect plan or the perfect diet that they just aren't doing the basics. Yeah, if the workout or the diet is the source of your stress, yeah. It's time to kind of take a page from Nia's book and say, wait, where where have I gone wrong? You know, in an instructional way, not in a self-judgmental way, but where have I drifted from that positive path? Because my workouts and my eating 
These are the simple pleasures of life. I mean, they're very rich, simple pleasures of life. Don't make them a negative. And if they are a negative, then it's time to, you know, rethink. Like you said, Phil, maybe it's social and, you know, get yourself in the right kind of group of athletes or what have you. Or like Rob said, rely on your strengths from your past, your training background or whatever it is. Um, you know, and, and go from there because you should not be stressed out because of the of your training or your nutrition. That's that's kind of a fundamental flaw, I think. Yeah. For sure. Um, okay, here's the one. Does Nia assess a client's personality to determine all what might be the best to to at all determine what might be the best strategy to use with to encourage diet program compliance? Um, have you ever fired a client and if so why? <laughs> now, what is what does it mean? What that repeat that part about the assessing the personality? That mean just by how? Yeah, do you assess the client's personality at all to determine what might be the best strategy for them? Well, of course. I mean, it depends on on their lifestyle and and what they're more likely to stick with. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, there's no cookie cutter plans for anybody when it comes to nutrition or training. Period. So, of course, that that weighs very heavily on what, you know, I recommend they do. And then sometimes, you know, I might be wrong. We have to tweak things a little. Um, is it, did that answer that? Yeah, I think so, yeah. That simple. I'm trying to keep that pretty simple. How about the second um, part of the question? That was an interesting one. Have I ever – no, no, I haven't. Oh. <laughs> I think Nobody's that, been thrown out of the gym in Vince Gerondo style? Well, if I had my own gym, absolutely, <laughs> but I don't right now. I, I'm an independent trainer, so. Okay. Firing clients. That, that's that's a new term. That's a new term. I would have said yes. That would that would have been a fun one. No, yeah. I don't. I don't have any stories about that. Oh well, you could have made one up. This is this is Iron Radio. Take, yeah. Well, I said I only I don't train people unless I know they're serious and they're going to bust their butt. And sure. So I don't I don't I don't usually get put in that situation where I would have to fire somebody. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's it. Unless anybody else has anything to offer. I don't know, Nia. Do you have any closing uh, comments or or summary about making training and nutrition fit the individual or anything else? Uh, kind of like what you guys were saying. Just, you know, if you're, if you're stressing out about things, just try to break it down to the basics. Don't don't get caught up in any of the, you know, the bells and whistles. Just, just try to think of how you can make things as simple as possible when it comes to your diet and your training and then go from there. I mean, I have several, several articles on my website about doing that because I, I believe very strongly in that, for, especially for women, that's a huge source of frustration is, is nutrition especially. So keep it, I like the, uh, the acronym, the KISS, keep it simple, yeah. stupid. Yeah. When in doubt, keep it simple, stupid. It works. <laughs> it does. For sure. Well, thank you for joining us today, Nia. Um, everybody, again, check out her website, thefatsolution.com. Um, there's, a, there's a link right here on the landing page you're on, and you can hear it. Numerous times when you come back and listen to this again and again to get all the information. Um, Thanks for joining us, Nia. Hey, thank you. It was great. I hope to be back with you sometime. Yeah, awesome. great. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for information purposes. If you're interested in starting a diet or an exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also, seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, Qualified exercise physiologists 